0: Hello and welcome to The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. Clarion are one of the leading law firms in Leeds with a team of experienced and dedicated lawyers who are passionate about helping their clients achieve their goals. For Clarion, it's all about relationships. They know that strong relationships create energy and deliver better results for you. In this podcast, we'll get to know some of Clarion's lawyers, reveal some of the law surrounding pop culture. And find out how Clarion's holistic approach develops effective and practical long-term client solutions by fully understanding both the business and the prevailing market. I'm Ian Brannan, and in this episode, some tabloid clickbait stories recently have seen social media users committing libel against various celebrities. So, where is the line drawn
1: between freedom of speech and defamation on social media? Think before you press send. If you wouldn't like that to be said about you... (laughs) take advice as to whether or not it's going to cause you any problems
0: business resilience is a key theme for clarion we'll chat with joint managing partner roger hutton to find out the major issues affecting business performance right now
2: i think at the moment there's the most diverse set of challenges businesses have have, have faced in that 30 years of my working experience
0: but first let's find out about the journey one of clarion's partners took to reach their current role Our first guest today and joining us in the purple chair is Lindsay Texel, a Clarion partner specialising in real estate.
3: Hi, Lindsay. Hi, good morning.
0: What attracted you to working with the law? I mean, it's quite a, it's obviously it's a a big area, but uh, still quite a specific job in the whole scheme of things. So what led you down this path in the first place?
3: Well, I actually qualified um, back in 1998 (laughs) Can you believe it? Um, So when I was kind of going through secondary school, it was a very traditional route for me into the law. So I read law at university. Uh, I then did my LPC, which is the legal practice course at Chester Law School. And I was really fortunate to get a training contract with a big um, firm called Eversheds, uh, who are now a big international practice. And I did my training contract with them so that was a two-year period uh, working out of Leeds and uh, yeah so for me it was a very vocational start it was a vocational degree and of course you know nowadays there's so many different routes for people to come into the law if that's what they want to do don't necessarily have to read law at university you can you know choose a subject that you love and then do a conversion course or you can do a solicitor's qualifying exam or you can do um, a silex chartered Legal exec uh, role as well, so lots of different routes available now that possibly weren't available mm. when I was, you know, back in the system.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your role at Clarion now, Lindsay?
3: So, I so I'm a partner at Clarion. Um, I joined Clarion in. 2015 so just to go back a step so I did my training contract at Eversheds did a couple of years post-qualification there and then I actually moved to another firm within Leeds at the time it was called Hammonds uh, and then uh, it became a, a big international um, firm American owned called Squire Patton Boggs so I spent 15 years with them and then I joined Clarion in 2015 so I joined actually as a partner I got my partnership whilst I was at Squires mm. and then joined Clarion um, as a partner so 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 um, we're just shy. Well, as of the 1st of June, we're just shy of about 300 people at Clarion. And I am one of 31 partners uh, within the business.
0: And obviously Clarion, relatively new in the the landscape there, then, from what you were mentioning there. How did you first hear about Clarion? How did you get involved?
3: Well, that's interesting, actually. Um, So, I mean, Clarion was a well-known brand at the time, um, but it was definitely on a sort of upward trajectory. Um, They had a very clear vision of what they wanted to achieve, uh, you know, in Yorkshire and beyond. And that was very attractive to me. But... Personally I knew a number of people at Clarion from working at Eversheds or Squires so when I eventually joined I was approached by the head of real estate who I'd worked with at both of those firms before and had kept in touch with but when I joined it was a bit like coming home because I knew so many other people within the business it was lovely. Yeah, sort of getting the band back together in Yeah, some way, it was it? a little bit like getting the band <laughs> back together. Yeah, and the band has stayed together. <laughs> <laughs> that's good,
0: that's good, that's good. And um, I, I guess as a result, you know, you're all friends there. You all know each other um, in advance from from earlier in your careers. And mm. Clarion really looking after their team as well. And in a, a sense, a, a good place to work, a fun place to work.
3: Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time at Clarion Um thinking about our people how we can you know get the best out of them we are very much a family we are different you know having experienced other law firms and people who join from other law firms you know say the same thing we we do aim to be different we're very collaborative we're all in it together very much about teamwork um you know there there is no individual who's just out there for themselves and that makes it a really lovely environment in which to work and obviously has great benefits then from a sort of client perspective because we are all working together you know for the good of the business and for the good of our clients
0: what does your day-to-day role look like what is what is a day in the life of a solicitor at clarion (laughs) for you
3: Pretty busy. <laughs> um, I mean, as a partner role, it, my day is really varied. Uh, so I can be doing anything from team management. So I might be, you know, leading a team meeting. I might be supervising, you know, one of the team on some client work. Um, I still love doing the work myself. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I still have a portfolio of clients and I, I will do the work, the legal work for them. So an element of, of, of that as well. Um, And then there's, you know, strategy to consider. So I'll consider the recruitment needs of the team. Short, medium, long term. Uh, look at the business plan for the team. Who our existing clients are, what their needs might be, how we need to service them. What our target clients look like. You know, how can we attract them to Clarion, What what kind of things do we need to do? Allied to that is looking at sort of marketing strategies, and you know, wh- where do we want to spend our marketing budget? Really. So yeah, it's it's really varied. Always busy. Always different. It's great.
0: And I think it's good that you can you. you you get involved in the, the sharp end of what's happening as well. Because I think sometimes you can get more and more involved in a business and, and become part of the fabric of the business and, and run the business. But that sometimes is at the expense of doing what it is that you got into the job to do, you know, the actual sharp end of it. And, and it sounds like you have a good a good balance of, of everything there.
3: Yeah, it, it's interesting. It is one of the things that attracted me to Clarion, actually. So having worked at um, two big international firms, you know, with hundreds of partners, there were occasions where you felt as if you were just a line on an Excel spreadsheet. And at Clarion, because we are smaller in size, I mean, we're nearly 300, so we're not that small, but I really felt that I could add value and that I could be at the sharp end, you know, and my voice would be heard in a way that possibly wasn't right in in the other firms.
0: Yeah. And uh, tell us about, the areas of law that that Clarion cover, obviously you're involved in the real estate uh, arm of it, but obviously you cover everything
3: yeah so clarion is is full service um so all the sort of corporate elements that you would you would think of so corporate commercial intellectual property uh we have a regulatory team we, we're we're full services about 16 17 service lines uh, we also have a fantastic private wealth and family team which is, which is still unusual i think for a corporate commercial law firm But it means that we can service the individual as well as the corporates. And that works brilliantly. And and actually, there's a lot of crossover between those sort of transactional and non-transactional teams, which works really well
0: people listening to this um, and hearing you talking about real estate maybe it's a, a subject that resonates with them either with their business or in their personal lives what are the big issues in real estate law right now that maybe clients should be looking at that you can help them with
3: so real estate is a bit of an umbrella term really so for us it encompasses commercial property uh, construction that's contentious and non-contentious and we have a specialist property litigation team so there's issues you know in in all of those areas. I mean, the, the market is difficult at the moment for lots of people looking into real estate. Um, I head up the retail sector at Clarion and obviously the retail sector is a little bit on its knees at the minute. Um, lots of repurposing of, you know, city centre retail units. So there's opportunities for people, but obviously it's it's a slightly shaky market as well. Um, one of the big things to come out recently is in the construction industry. So the Building Safety Act is relatively new legislation. It's going to have a big impact on lots of people, particularly in the development sector, but beyond as well. Um, we don't yet have all of the detail of the Act. Um, you know, we're trying to keep up to date with it, but it is it is evolving. So that's a big piece, um, particularly for our construction team. We're doing lots of... Um, articles, blogs, seminars, um, you know, thought leadership pieces really to get everybody up to speed on that subject.
0: Okay, definitely look out for those. And um, as a as, as a customer, you, you probably have a lot of choices in terms of where to get your advice and support from when it comes to, to all aspects of law. But why should they use Clarion? Well, what's, what's the magic sauce?
3: Well, you're right. There are a lot of lawyers, <laughs> 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 lots of lawyers in Leeds, lots of uh, lots of lawyers nationally. I would say it comes down to um, our people because our people are different and they are at the heart of Clarion's strategy. Um, We invest proportionately more than most law firms in developing our people and um, and we're different and we're never ordinary and we don't just pay lip service to our values, our core values. We, you know, we really live by them. So um, our core values are we stand together. So that's all around teamwork for us. Uh, We stand out because we're all individually brilliant in in everything that we do. Uh, And then we stand in our client's shoes. So we are adaptable to our clients. We communicate well with them. We give our people time to get to know our clients. It's not just about, you know, can I squeeze another billable hour out of a client? It's not about that for us. Um, It's it's about the personal touch.
0: Thanks, Lindsay. Sounds like an incredible place to work and thanks for joining us.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: This is The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. The way we act on social media is probably more important than we think. Earlier this year, the tabloids were publishing stories around an unnamed TV presenter, which caused a lot of speculation as to the identity of that presenter, with a bit of a social media pylon and hunt, uh, much of which ended up being libelous. At least one presenter who was named on social media has already settled out of court with the person who defamed them. But given that we live in a country where we are, in theory, free to call people and businesses out on social media and to criticise them and their dealings and products, what type of of statements about people or businesses cross the line and are regarded as defamatory and what statements could land us in trouble joining us in the purple chair to discuss this is sue streetfield a partner in clarion's ip team welcome sue
1: thank you for having me um
0: let's cover some of this then and and maybe potentially try and keep some people out of trouble as well but uh, let's start by talking about ip what Mm. what is ip what does it mean
1: well, intellectual property rights are a type of legal right that have been created to give people essentially um, a way of being rewarded for coming up with something new. So that could be writing a book. It could be making a film. It could be um, making some new music, inventing a new medicine, um, coming up with some software. And the reason the law rewards people for that is that it incentivizes them to create new things because that's much better for society and all it does is to say that if you've made this thing you're going to have a legal right to stop other people using it without your consent which then means that you can charge people for the privilege. It's, it's a whole spectrum of rights that try to cover all the different types of creativity.
0: But similarly, uh, on the flip side, of course, as well as creating and doing the good, there are people around who are creating the wrong kind of content sometimes yes. uh, that uh, isn't to be rewarded. Obviously, we've got Facebook, Twitter, many different um, social media forms, even just websites, blogs, whatever it might be. People are free to to access that and and express their wishes. So let's mm. let's start with this uh, this argument of free speech. But yes. people go online; they will they will see a story maybe involving a celebrity. Mm. and they will just say what they think about that person. So where is the line drawn between your opinion and, Mm. and what's fine versus what's not fine that might potentially harm someone's reputation?
1: Well, absolutely. So the, it's in terms of what constitutes a defamatory statement, um, the threshold was actually raised in 2013 to one where you have to show, if you're the person who's concerned, that somebody said something about you that could cause or is likely to cause serious damage to your reputation Um And if you're an entity that makes money, so a business that's selling products, then you have to show that that statement would cause you serious financial harm. Um, There was a concern before 2013 that the law was too broad in the sense of stopping someone saying something that would cause other people not to like that person. What does that mean? That's really vague. It's, It's suppressing free speech. So now you can only succeed in establishing defamation if you can show that you've met that threshold. Um, and, and as a, as a, a defamation law, I often get people coming in saying, well, so-and-so said this about me in the press or they don't like my product or they don't like what I was wearing and they said that colour didn't suit me. Um, that is not damaging to your reputation. That's just an opinion that somebody is expressing. But but the law, quite properly, um, in terms of defamation law, recognises the economic um, and personal detriment to somebody if, they're, if something is said that is so damaging to their reputation that they might lose employment. So if, for example, you have a celebrity and an allegation is made that they've committed a criminal act or um, something that is um, shunned on or regarded as bad behaviour by society, you know, in the real world, they could their work could dry up overnight uh, and that's not acceptable and that's what the law is trying to prevent.
0: I think as well, it depends on the the character of the person, too, because I think if you are a well-known public figure and you don't have a whiter-than-white record and, Mm. and you have been involved in a scandal after scandal, and that's beyond doubt, then... I guess that the 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 law actually does give people a little bit more leeway on on what they have what they're allowed to say because that person's reputation may have been damaged more by themselves than yes. it may be by 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 a tweet but similarly somebody who has a a good standing in the community and if they are accused of doing something that they they shouldn't have done and that is false and obviously that yes. is quite damaging
1: yes that's absolutely right and and I think an important point to make because you mentioned expressing opinions Just because a statement on the face of it could damage somebody's reputation and even meets the threshold in principle, it isn't defamatory if any of the defences are available. So one of the defences is it's true. People might remember the Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney case. You know, in that scenario, there was an allegation that Rebecca Vardy told the son Colleen's secrets and Rebecca Vardy brought a claim for defamation and... Colleen Rooney successfully defeated that on the basis that it was substantially true. And then in terms of opinions, so if uh, an allegation is made that on the face of it damages somebody's reputation, but the person making the statement can show that that was just an expression of their opinion and that it was reasonably held based on facts that were true or that had been alleged to be true um, in certain of the publications... Then that the court will say, well, that's not defamatory because it was reasonable for you to think that. So it doesn't it's not intended on stopping people expressing their opinions. But if you're expressing an opinion that you have no reasonable basis for and it's not true, you can't prove it's true, and that the burden of proof is you on the person making the statement to prove something's true. The fact that you thought, well, they had that look about them, you know, is not a reasonable basis for that opinion and therefore that defence will fail. So there are arguments on both sides about where the line is and whether it's in the right place.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so we've talked about what really you you are allowed to to say and and Mm -hmm. where you, you might be getting in trouble if you are the person making the statement. What are your rights as... As a as a person in this country, and and uh, if you find yourself being talked about online, what are your rights?
1: Well, um, essentially, you can. You, other than defamation, um, the other thing that you can look at, which is which is really useful because it doesn't involve bringing a claim that costs hundreds of thousands of pounds, is the Malicious Communications Act. So that was brought in to um, make unlawful. Um, online communications that are made with the intent to cause distress or anxiety and it is either indecent or grossly offensive or it's a threat to you or it's a false allegation which the sender knows to be false then that is a criminal offence. So if you're a person who's been criticised online you know you might be able to avail yourself of that crime by reporting that to the police who then might investigate it and the perpetrator if they're convicted of that crime could be sent to prison or fined so we we use that quite a lot when we're representing people who feel that they are being intimidated online or um, harassed online um, because it's it's a question of reporting it to the police and you know that the person could go to prison it doesn't involve having to bring a claim at a huge expense and in addition um, to those areas of law there's a whole Um, area of law law around discrimination obviously and the Equality Act so you you can't make discriminatory uh, statements about people because of their ethnicity or their sexuality or their race or their gender Um, so there's quite a, a plethora of legal rights that you have as somebody who feels that people are saying hurtful or discriminatory things about you you know, there are checks and balances on both sides of the right to bring a claim to stop people saying hurtful, discriminatory, um, damaging things on the one side. And then on the other side, to, to try to ensure that we're not all locked down and able to criticise and make reasonable comments on how we're being governed or, you know, in relation to people who have, who have more power and are able to use that power to manipulate or, or hurt other people.
0: Okay, just think before you press send think <laughs> before you press send here's yes. a question so supposing that i uh, in the middle of the night have gone on um a, an online tirade against um a well known game show host um, yeah. it can be any any you imagine and uh Obviously, that I've come round the next morning realising that um, I might have got myself in trouble by the fact that it's been retweeted 3,000 times and yeah. um, it's all getting out of hand. Yeah. Uh, wh- what can I do? What, what are the circumstances where I could uh, avoid the worst of the legal consequences having realised my error?
1: Well, what you could do and the sensible thing to do in those circumstances is to publish a retraction. Um, because actually, even if the, the person that you've criticised doesn't do anything... Um, It is. um, It it helps a lot if you try and mitigate the damage by um, retracting what you said and apologising because essentially you're already clawing it back and if and to the extent there's any damage to reputation, you're already diminishing that to some extent by saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, um, ignore that. So that would be the best way to deal with it. And often actually um, for clients that, that I act for, if there's any reputational damage, whether made... By somebody else or themselves we we always work closely with with p r specialists around you know how do you resolve this situation, and almost invariably, the advice is if you 've done something wrong, the best thing to do is just to say sorry there 's this sort of p r spin on it isn 't it that it 's usually the cover up that is more damaging. Mm. Than actually what you did in the first place.
0: Just get it out of the way yeah. and move on. You yeah.
1: know, it rep- reputation and integrity are obviously closer links. And if you've done something to damage somebody else's reputation, then the way you restore your own to the best extent you can is to act with integrity. That could cause you some damage as well. But arguably, that's less damaging than just leaving it out there and people thinking, you know, that you're a particular type of human being who behave so badly. And what practical steps
0: um, can we all take, businesses or or individuals, to to reduce the risks of of defamation?
1: Essentially, pausing and thinking, could anybody think even that this is damaging or likely to cause serious harm to somebody's reputation? If so, I need to pause because I'm now in the danger zone and then ask myself, can I prove that this is true if I'm making an allegation that is factually based? Or if not, if I can't actually prove it's true, but I think it's true, are there any other defences to defamation that I can rely on, for example, that it's true or it's honest opinion or that I'm saying this in the public interest? Um, And there are a number of other sort of less common ones. And also... Are there any other laws that I need to be concerned about? So am I discriminating against somebody because of personal characteristics in any way? And I I need to take careful advice if there's any risk of that, because in addition to the financial consequences and reputational consequences of getting it wrong, you know, there's potential criminal consequences as well. So it's pretty serious if you get it wrong.
0: You refer to it as the danger zone. Mm. Uh, If you find yourself in the danger zone Mm. uh, and you have maybe overstepped the mark, um, Mm. clearly Clarion Mm. uh, are here to help. How Mm. can you help?
1: Well, essentially, we can just talk through with you what you've done, why you've done it. Was there a a reason that's going to turn into a defence? What are the potential consequences to you or to your business? Are you prepared to accept those consequences? So, for example, you you might feel strongly that you said something that you feel you can justify or that you can successfully defend and that you feel so strongly about it that even when you've been advised of all of the potentially awful consequences, you want to stick to your guns, um, in which case we can help you do that. Um, And we work very closely with PR specialists who will help you put out your views in the most effective way. Conversely, if you're concerned that you've got yourself into a bit of a spot that you want to reverse out of, then we can advise you on how to approach the potential victim or uh, media outlets to try and set the record straight. What we would try to do is using the law where that's appropriate, but always in the context of the practical steps that can be taken um And always you know being mindful of expenses, you know so one one point to make is you don't always have to go straight in and issue your legal claim you you can instruct lawyers to write a letter which makes it completely clear what the consequences of that the publisher not retracting or or apologizing for that statement and and often that does the trick because. Well, if a person who has made a statement is concerned that they are going to be on the wrong end of a legal action and and they know that they can't rely on any defences, you know, they may back down. It's always about working out what is best for your client with your client in their particular circumstances based on their means. Hmm. And it's very rare that we actually issue proceedings because we usually find another way of avoiding the damage
0: the, the the bottom line, um, just to sort of round things off here, is your one thing you would advise all people to do, whether they're a business owner, whether they're an individual or, or celebrity or not, what would, what would be your one piece of advice when it comes to uh, keeping out of trouble?
1: Think before you press send. If you wouldn't like that to be said about you, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. take advice as to whether or not it's going to cause you any problems. Okay.
0: Great advice. Well, Sue, thanks very much for talking all about that um, that area and uh, hopefully we'll uh, all keep ourselves out of trouble. Thank you. This is The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. I'm Ian Brannan and every episode we're going to explore one of the themes that Clarion excel in. And in this episode, let's talk about business resilience with Clarion joint managing partner, Roger Hutton. Hi, Roger. Welcome to The Purple Chair. Hi, nice to meet you, Ian. Now, Tell us, really, what is this phrase, business resilience? What is it about?
2: Well, it's, it's a pertinent phrase at the moment because there are so many different factors in the marketplace that each business, yours, mine, everyone who's listening will be facing. Uh, and with so many different challenges at the moment, businesses have to think of new ways to adapt and deal with those threats. I realized I was talking about it. I Googled it for one second to work out what resilience meant, if I'm being honest. And it talks about toughness and it talks about flexibility and it talks about being able to bounce back from difficulties. And I guess those are the, the, the sort of the, the three things that businesses need to talk to themselves about at the moment.
0: Obviously, we, we've been through some particularly unique times over the last few years or so, pandemic and beyond. Why is business resilience important in today's ever-changing business landscape?
2: Yeah, I've been a a restructuring partner for 30 years in in Yorkshire and working across the country. And I think at the moment, there's the most diverse set of challenges businesses have, have faced in that 30 years of my working experience. You've got the situation from covid where uh, that had a number of impacts on the way we work, uh, uh, the way we spend our leisure time and the way we spend our our, 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 our money. So that's impacted a, a, a number of things. We still got the hangover or the effects of Brexit on the supply chain, on the ability to get uh, labour and the right talent into your business. There's the Cost of living crisis, so that's putting up the price of doing business. It's also affecting people's ability to spend in various sectors that you might be interested in, and and there's inflation, which is affecting the cost of the money you're borrowing or the availability of capital to go into business. You've got those four different things all working at you at different angles, and each business is different. Each business has got different challenges, but that. That co- cocktail of complex issues, all of which are challenging your business, are making it very hard to find the right direction uh, to take your business. So there's a lot going on in businesses in the last four or five years that, you know, we just wouldn't have been talking about five years ago.
0: So for people listening to this who own their own business, what are the key elements that contribute to a resilient business?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was frightened when we picked the subject, you'd ask me that question uh, <laughs> because there's, there's no one right answer. I think there are three things to me that feel key. First for me is culture. Have a, have a business that has a group of people that are, 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 are welded together well with a common purpose. Businesses that are just about being for money and just about driving profit often don't find themselves surviving in these, in, in these, in these environments. Everyone needs to make money to pay the bills and to, to deal with the cost of living crisis. But, you know, you also see the ESG agenda at the moment about that the generations of people who want the business to mean something and have a purpose. And, and, and I think you can't forget that. And therefore, a culture and a group of people working together positively is a key element. Second point that I think is key in this is flexibility. There are so many variations in, a, 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 in, in the marketplace that you cannot possibly have one plan and deliver one plan irrespective of what the market's doing. You have to be constantly vigilant at what's happening in the market in different places and have the ability and flexibility in your business to to move quickly with uh, the changes in the marketplace. And then the third, I guess, is leadership. You know, I would say of businesses that fail, 80% of businesses fail because of poor leadership. Therefore, it's actually as a leader being Alive to the fact that you don't know all the answers, listening to the entirety of the business, listening to positive advice outside, listening to your competitors, watching the marketplace and, and making good decisions early. You know, on on the other side of that coin, I've seen quite a lot of businesses fail where, they, you know, where the business owners turn up in their expensive car and they have all the corporate toys and they're spending money on things that are superfluous. For the last two or three years, we feel we've been through a period of adversity because of COVID and the pandemic and Brexit. But the government flushed a lot of money into the business environment, which made us feel that we could deal with these challenges. And the they, they impact them in most sectors wasn't as hard as we thought. But that's because it was false money flushed through. Now the reverse is true. There's no money flushing through. And the money you've had is suddenly much more expensive. And therefore you'd have survived the last three years still making some bad decisions. You won't survive the next three years unless you look at how you can make sure your business is efficient and flexible and tuned to the marketplace.
0: People are listening to this now, and and again, they're, they're a business owner. They're probably looking at the issues that affect their business directly in you know the short term and, and uh, directly to their customers. But what are the biggest issues in business right now that you're seeing across the whole board that businesses should be alert to? People
2: will now be paying your bills more slowly, so you'll watch your debt creeping out. You'll find a situation where more businesses and your suppliers uh, and your customers may go insolvent, sadly. So your supply chain may be disrupted. Uh, uh, so you've got to work out, wait a minute, am I vulnerable to one supply chain? Am I reliant on somebody? that Are they safe? Am I reliant on, on one customer? Or will they keep buying? Can they afford to? Have I allowed them to build up too much debt? What can I do about capital and getting the right level of investment to grow my business or survive through a difficult time? And have I probably engaged well enough with my stakeholders, my, my shareholders, my funders, my bank, all that group of people. They're essentially are right behind your business. A business is very rarely one person making a decision. It's a group of people, even if they're not in the company, working together to get an end product. And have I engaged properly with them? And I think the thing about business that I've learned in 30 years is ask those questions early and ask yourself those questions all the time. Life goes badly wrong when people ask themselves those questions too late. At, at one minute to 12 when actually they realise they have only got one major customer or one major supplier and it's gone wrong. The ability to change and reorganise your business, too late at that stage. Always ask early and take advice early.
0: Okay, it's great advice, and and people maybe here wonder where Clarion can help solve these issues. Where do you come into this? Well, how can you help businesses? Yeah, we're um, thankfully we've
2: you know every business, including our own, has those ups and downs. We've learned things as business leaders about in the past where we've made mistakes and, and things have gone wrong. But we have a, a huge knowledge now of businesses not only in Yorkshire but right across the country as to where people have made mistakes and how we can uh, help you not make those mistakes. But on, on, a, on a more basic legal level, you, we've got every discipline from employment to, to look at what's happening with your, you know, how you can get better talent, how you can deal with the talent you've got, what your supply chain looks like, what your terms and conditions are, look, look like in terms of uh, the commercial relationships you have, what's your funding like, can we improve it, can we introduce you to people with better funding, can we help you create different opportunities to rationalise or restructure your business, to protect yourself from threats, Maximize your opportunity,
0: and can you give us an example or some examples of businesses that have benefited directly from from Clarion's expertise?
2: Yeah, look, it's it's odd in in my world because quite often people think, and even the turn of this podcast maybe maybe about failure. Huge numbers of businesses fail in the legal sense of it, but actually, what you really care about is the underlying business and the underlying employees and how. Actually, the products and the people keep keep alive and, and relevant for the customer base. And so there are innumerable stories where actually what we've done is helped acquire a business that was in distress for another business and kept the business alive. Done that on a number of occasions recently for the Fraser Group or uh, uh, from parts of Misguided or I Saw It First or Jeeves and Hawks as we've helped businesses survive or... Oh, Or on the other side where it's a director in trouble and he doesn't know what's going to happen for his business, you've taken those directors and the board, looked after them, helped them get some better funding, helped them improve their commercial contracts and helped them survive so they're not names or stories that have ever got to the press and everyone in those groups is living happily ever after.
0: So people might be listening to this now and it might have pricked their ears up and thought, hang on a minute, he's got a point there and maybe they're now starting to worry about their own business resilience what do businesses do in the first instance if they if they need help? I think the answer is to that is
2: that I sit there and worry about my business every day. And and if you look to what's happening in our business, it's hugely fast growing, winning loads of awards, making lovely growth and good profit. But I know in three or six months, I could be one of the statistics getting something wrong at that space. So I spend most days worrying about what's going to go wrong. So my primary bit of advice is worry about what's going to go wrong and the minute you think something is or could be or might be just come and talk to us it's a it's a free thing you you're not you're not, you're, you're not admitting failure actually coming and talking to uh, a, a hugely experienced restructuring team about possibilities how to make your business better or or worn off threat is a bright thing to do
0: okay well roger it's been great speaking with you and uh, thanks for uh, shedding some light on uh, the subject of business resilience
2: ian thank you lovely to talk to you too thanks
0: Thank you for listening to The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. And please don't forget to hit subscribe and rate it as well. To find out more about how Clarion could help you or your business, head to clarionsolicitors.com. Until next time, from me, Ian Brannan, and my guests, Roger, Sue, and Lindsay, goodbye.